my goal was always to have my own business. I, it was also my goal to get into the co-op and I, I saw student works as a stepping stone to get there. Right. And man, did it help. Like I, I walked into those interviews, um, half the time they didn't believe the experiences I told them I was having from the student right. works painting. Right. And then they'd give a call to you or something else and they, Oh, it's real. Um, so it was easy to get a job. Like that was no yeah. problem uh, after right. that, partly because I was no longer an interviewee uh, who never interviewed someone. Now I'd interviewed lots of people, made hiring mistakes and saw past all the BS and I didn't give any of those answers anymore. I just gave it straight up. And I think interviewers appreciate that. And they can see, they can see you're being honest. And they say, okay, I'm dealing with a real person here talking about real experience. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. Hey, leaders. Really, really excited uh, to share this upcoming podcast. Jordan Fiji, uh, an operator of ours, uh, 25 years ago, uh, graduated of Laurier. He went up through um, Canada Bread and then Craft, Innovation, Product Manager, Director, you know, award after award after award, amazing success after amazing success. Really an insightful conversation about what drives brands what you know advertising decisions uh and as you move on in your career the different levels and the different ways we need to think about first getting success in a career second all of a sudden at a director level or account manager level and then at a president level and jordan really describes that really really profoundly spent a number of years as a venture capitalist shared some some really great insights about about errors and and looking at things and uh, really, really an amazing podcast. So I know you're going to love it. And uh, you know what I'm up to is finding amazing young leaders. So if you know anyone, please share our podcast with them. You're welcome to send me an email with any feedback at chris at leaderspodcast.ca and, uh, and share, share, share with us our, 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 uh, uh, our information to any any incredible leaders who are looking to really make a difference in the world today. Thanks so much. Have an unbelievable day. Bye-bye. All right. So Jordan, thank you so much for joining the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. You're welcome. Good to see you, Chris. Okay. Good to see you. It's been a long time, and uh, but I've followed your career from afar, uh, as I mentioned on, on LinkedIn. But if we think back to sort of those high school years pre-Laurier, you know, who was Jordan? You know, what were you, uh, you, you know, like before our program? Uh, I was uh, a know-it-all and thought I was going to go conquer the world <laughs> and uh, do it all alone. Okay. And uh, I was a bit of an artist. I really mm-hmm. liked art. And I was a perfectionist. And uh, I, I would say yeah, that, about, that about sums it up. All my own, being a perfectionist, working hard, trying to take <laughs> on the world. Grinding it out. Grinding it out. Yeah. So, yeah. And so... What what things were you frustrated as a teenager? Any frustrations that you can think of? As a teenager, um, no, I was um, I was I don't want to say socially awkward, but probably socially awkward. I was shy. I was a shy person. Shy. It frustrated yeah. it frustrated me that I couldn't overcome my shyness okay. uh, in dealing with people. Uh, so that okay. was one of the things. And actually, student works really helped with that. It forced yeah. me. Uh, you're knocking on doors, cold calling. It was my greatest fear, but I was forced to do it. Money was on the and line. You, yeah. <laughs> and you got really good at it, right? I, I, imagine, got, okay. you were, I got okay at it. Yeah. You were, you were, no, but I'm just saying you were a good performer. So it, it's, again, it's something like, not that you excel that, but something you were pretty good at. Yeah. I would say uh, my effort uh, overcame my skill deficiency. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, listen to that leaders. That is a huge thing, right? Our efforts <clears throat> do overcome our skill deficiency over time, right? Like that's probably a, a, a lesson that you've seen repeated in your life, right? Yes, for sure. So what do you still rely on from the program? Uh, I learned some things running a painting company, actually, that uh, served me really well. I mean, it, it was amazing what you learn in a small little painting company um, mm-hmm. that is applicable to every single business, rest of your life, right. and every job. 
Um, it's sort of like a, it's a big business uh, condensed and small. Right. Uh, and you're just going to see all of it because you're it. You're it. Right. You're on the hook yes. for everything. So you'll see it. <laughs> not not techniques, not um, no. not not the operations. Those things change. But the skills required and the pressures of running a business are all real. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so I know we were uh, fortunate enough to have you for one year, but only one year, unfortunately. So but but I know you were in a, in a co-op program. So what did you do, you know, uh, you know, coming out of the co-op program? You know, what were your early career strides, uh, et cetera? Well, my goal, and I think I mentioned this to you before, I, my goal was always to have my own business. Mm hmm. I, it was also my goal to get into the co-op, and I, I saw Student Works as a stepping stone to get there. Right. And man, did it help! Like I, I walked into those interviews. Um, half the time, they didn't believe the experiences I told them I was having from the Student right. Works painting. Right. And then they'd give a call to you or someone else, and they, oh, it's real. Um, so it was easy to get a job. Like that was no yeah. problem uh, after right. that. Partly because I was no longer an interviewee uh, who never interviewed someone. Now I'd interviewed lots of people, made hiring mistakes. And saw past all the BS and I uh, didn't give any of those answers anymore. I just gave it straight up. And I think interviewers appreciate that. And they can see, they can see you're being honest and they say, okay, I'm dealing with a real person here talking about real experience. Uh, so I'd say that that really helps. So I did the co-op program mm -hmm. coming out of there. Uh, my goal was to work a couple of years. I thought I could work a couple of years for a big company, learn everything there was to know, and then head off on my own. Right. So I, I jumped at the first chance. There was Maple Leaf had a management training program, they called it. Um, I got into that. I was in the Canada bread part. It was the Wild West. Um, was it what they promised? Ah, not really. The part that was true, though, is they moved me around every year. So I, right. got, I got experience in finance. I got experience in marketing. And then I got experience in M&A and strategy, which was great. Mm -hmm. um, and at the end of it, I kind of got to choose where I wanted to go. I chose innovation. Because okay. some of the work I've been doing led me to understand. I really like strategy. I thought I'd be a finance guy, but I really like strategy. Um, and so here was launching innovations from scratch. And that was fantastic business training. Mm -hmm. My two years turned into six and a half years. And yeah. I looked at myself and said, Hey, what happened? You know, I'm getting on in years. I'm in my mid twenties now. <laughs> and so in terms of innovation for our young leaders, what sort of things did you innovate? You know, what sort of opportunities did you see, et, et cetera? Well, I was working for a bread company and bread's old, 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 old. So how yeah. are you going to invent bread? Well, you're not going to mm -hmm. really invent it. So I would spend time looking at the shelves, seeing mm -hmm. what was going on. Fortunately, we were in Toronto. You get to see a few of the ethnic trends that were happening at the time. And right. uh, ethnic breads were becoming a thing. Uh, Middle yes. Eastern people were starting to make their mark on Toronto and bring their, mm -hmm. their kind of food. And flatbreads were out there. So that was one of the ones we did. We said, okay, flatbreads, it's ethnic. You see all these different brands. Half of it has Arabic writing on it. And you're like, well, no one's going to understand that. Why don't we just make this Canadian? <laughs> so let's yes. do a Canadian version of this really Flat good bread. bread. Yep. Yeah. And um, help help the retailer out because retailers didn't know what to do with it either. Right. And say, okay, we're going to help merchandise this in a way that everyone can shop it, will understand it. And the average Canadian can now start to enter these categories that thus far only ethnic people who knew the breads were yeah. experiencing. So that was one of the bigger launches. Yeah. Another one was, uh, I don't know if you remember, but there was a low carb craze. There was the Atkins diet that came out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. One of many diet crazes that come out. And it was so big, we had to react to it. I mean, mm -hmm. bread, bread consumption was actually going down because this guy's out there saying it's bad for you. So right. people were avoiding carbs. So I made a low-carb bread. Right. It was the weirdest product. I, I, it tasted gross. It was <laughs> bouncy. It had no, almost no carbs in it. So what right. is bread without carbs? I don't know. But it's very rubbery, very chewy. <laughs> and uh, what happened, a guy at the factory dropped one, stepped on it by mistake, Took his foot off and it bounced back up. Well, don't you know all the guys in the warehouse and they're dropping the bread on the floor, stepping on it, just watch it bounce back up. Like this is not a great launch. Anyway, that was one of those tactical launches. It helped stave off our declines, that's for sure. Um, because right. it grew really quickly. And then as right. that as that fad passed, you know, that that one went away. The flatbreads are still there. So that yes. one worked really well. Yeah. Um, but you know, in innovation, you start with where's a need? Does a consumer actually want this? Test that idea. How do I make it? Yeah. Do we make it? Does someone else make it? How do you price it? How do you make money? What are you going to call it? What brand should go under? I worked in a, it was a system of franchises, actually. So the delivery people who deliver the bread across the country actually mm -hmm. own their own trucks and their own franchise. I had to convince right. all of them to take it. After you've done all the work to convince the company to take it, now you've got to convince all of them. 
Uh, and you you must know what it is like convincing franchisees to go do something they may not want to. You know, yes. it has to make money for them. So it's a yeah. lot of selling to get these things yes. through. So really, it was great business training. If you mm. think of the four P's of marketing that you're going to learn at university, it was all of them. Right. So if you can get an innovation job, I would say to a new business person, get an innovation job. Yes. Uh, you're going to do all four P's. Mm-hmm. And make yeah. sure you're working for a company that actually owns the strategy and the innovation. Like I worked for a Canadian company. I got lucky. Yes. Yeah. Because it's tough to do that in such a young age too. So that's a that's a really, really good, a unique opportunity at that age. So uh, looking back, yes. Yeah. I had a yes. lot of luck in my career. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, and, and, and it's funny, a lot of successful people feel the same thing. It's luck plus hard work good fortune, you know, that sort of thing. So it's, it, it, it deals with the part that we own in luck. You know, I think that's, right, that's, right, that's right. important to, to, to also be responsible for and accountable for. So, so Jordan, Canada bread ends and where do you, where do you go? And what were you thinking? Yeah, Canada bread, I'm six and a half years and uh, I've learned a lot. I'm liking the innovation stuff. Um, but a friend says, you know, well, craft is a renowned place for learning how to run a business. You really want to take it to the next level. And he was right. I got lucky again. There was an opening. They wanted an innovation person. They saw what I was able to do, which no one there was trained to do, partly mm-hmm. because I was at a company that wasn't that sophisticated. So they just let me do everything. <laughs> uh, so moving to craft, far more sophisticated. They had systems, you know, they had people for everything. Stuff that I right. used to do myself. Now I had six people wow. there to do. And I, I said to my boss, what am I supposed to do? He said, right. well, just organize them, you know? So right. like, okay. <laughs> but but at Kraft, I was the I was the hub. And right. the marketing, the way they set it up, marketing, brand management was the hub. You had salespeople, yeah. operations people, insights people, packaging people, all kinds of people reporting to you or dotted line reporting to you. Right. And um, you're running a business all of a sudden. Yes. And it really got good for me when I became a brand manager, got out of innovation into brand management. And they said, here's a business, you own it, go. That's it. Right. That's all they kind yes. of said. And I, I, that was just a great fit for me. Great fit. And then I realized the strategy, the innovation work I'd done, the strategy that I enjoy, and creative problem solving. I realized some of those artistic skills I had as a teenager now really married well with advertising. I loved advertising. So that was a natural mm. fit. Right. Um, and so I found my role. And right. um, in that first role, was able to launch um, some campaigns that won international awards. And then I started to get recognized within this new company called Kraft, which I was a nobody until right. then. But, but they gave me the chance. I had asked for some money to put some money behind Shreddies. Right. And Shreddies was a cereal I loved as a kid. It used to be a big cereal. It kind of gone, got forgotten by everybody, uh, including yes. the company that owned it, Kraft. And so I, I went and argued for some money on it and said, I think we could revive this thing. They gave me enough money to go do a test. So I did a test out in Alberta. And we launched a campaign that I and a junior guy at the ad agency had worked on. He came up with this idea for the back of the box where he wanted to take the square shreddy and he yeah. wanted to, you see that? And then he wanted to turn yeah. it. Yes. Like, look, we made, we made something new. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Diamonds. Let's do it on the back of the box. Let's do it. Yeah. Well, then as his boss, so I, he's like, no, this is the whole campaign. And so we bought this campaign and, and I, I, I bought it, I tested it in Alberta and it took off. We, yeah. Like we didn't just win awards. We, we won 20% growth overnight. Like it was great. Wow. And so then wow. that got, that got rolled up nationally and that campaign ran for, I don't know how many years. Um, but yeah. after, after that, I, you know, a VP from upstairs came and said, come with me. Yeah. yeah. And before you wrap up that topic, it's just one of those things, small world, the, the, the CEO of our business and my partner and wife actually ran uh, Shreddies or sorry, was an assistant product manager back in the day with Shreddies when Shreddies was the biggest cereal in Canada. Nice. So it's really kind of neat how, well, how small the world is, right? So, so yeah, just, no, and it's, and, and, and again, innovation the from you to me, create, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> creativity. So where did you go to next, Jordan? Your VP came and grabbed you. Uh, so I, uh, a VP who was in charge of some of the big brands at Kraft, like peanut butter came and said, listen, peanut butter is a commoditized business. It's huge. It has potential. Uh, we're not making a lot of profit on it. You come do what you did on Shreddies. Come do it over here. Mm-hmm. And he became one of my best mentors. He was he was a great he was a great boss. He was good at delegating, good at letting you do stuff, um, as well as pushing. Right. And um, mm-hmm. I learned from him when you want to do something, go once he'll say no, go go twice he'll say no. By the third time, he's either saying yes or he's saying no, and then you better not bug him anymore. Uh, but usually he'd say yes if you really believed in it that much. He was saying yes. He let he let me try stuff. So on right. peanut butter. Uh, it was a completely different strategy, but but had fantastic run. 
saw that we put consumer investment behind. I argued for consumer investment from the management, got consumer investment. Same thing, tested it first, tested it in Ontario, did well, then rolled it out across the country and asked for more money. Right. Um, took what was commoditized business, was able to, because we started supporting it with good consumer work, it was very insightful consumer work. Someone else had already begun the research on the inside stuff. And I took that, mm-hmm. we, we, got, we had a campaign that really got into the psyche of the woman who's going to buy it for the family. Right. And uh, and realize we could just drive the whole category. Actually, if we drove the whole category and fought for share on the shelf, drive the business. Right. So was able to grow share through tactical price maneuvering, launching innovation, trying to get competitors shelf space, get it for us. Was able to right. grow the share that way, and then just drove the category with advertising. At the same time, Chris, it took. Uh, this is back when commodities were going crazy in two thousand eight, two thousand seven, eight, nine. Took three price increases in a year. And uh, took the profit margins substantially higher. Right. <laughs> At the same time, so we're growing unit volume through the margins, through the share. It was trifecta great. It was a, that was a fun, fun couple of years. Really fun. Right, right. <laughs> That's awesome. Love that. Love that. <laughs> and so, so then you moved. Where'd you go next? From there, that same VP actually was um, he was getting his own recognition, so he was able to. They, they put under him, they put all the beverages as well. So he had a whole bunch of food brands and then they gave him all the beverages, including coffee. And cold beverages at the time included Crystal Light. I don't know if you know that. It's a powdered I drink. You yes. add your water. Kool-Aid, both yeah. the liquid form and the, the old powder form. Um, and as you can imagine, something like Kool-Aid was not doing well. I mean, it's had its heyday back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, yeah. And now it's starting to decline as people are becoming more uh, health-focused. And they're thinking mm-hmm. well, Kool-Aid's just sugar. And then with Crystal Light, Crystal Light was a non-sugar drink alternative for people um, who want to add it to their bottled water. But you know, it had the way it got to its flavoring was through aspartame, which is also becoming unhealthy. Okay. At the same time, the the management before us, they had made a format change. I don't know what happened if they forgot to take pricing, but they gave more product to the consumer at the same price, is what ended right. up happening. So what was the most profitable brand for Kraft in terms of its percent margins? And I can't say what they are, but they're very, very high. Your, your mouth right. with water right. um, had gone down to being one of the lowest. Wow. Almost overnight. I mean, right. talk about, it's very possible. It's, it's, it's really hard to build a great brand, but it's very possible to kill it quickly. Very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> I yes. couldn't believe it. With bad in decisions. One year, yeah. In one yeah. year. Some well-meant decisions just not completely thought out. So anyway, I had one month to come up with a turnaround plan on that. and. Um, Pulled out all the stops and came up with a turnaround plan. Had a small team. We all worked hard. Uh, had to stop a bunch of projects that were happening, start some new ones. I mean, the plan involved, there was going to be some price increases. We had right. to get that. But how do you do that without losing your entire customer base while you're doing it? Yes. So got some insights, launched advertising. You're starting to see this theme. But with insightful advertising... Uh, you can really cover a lot of sins in terms of the pricing and whatnot. Right. So right. we're launching a great campaign, which after we launched it ran again for years because it, it was a great one actually. Um, I had good agencies supporting me the whole time, and learned how to work with them. That was a side note, but learning to work with your agencies and letting them do their job and treating them like partners was key insight that really uh, gave me a lot of success at Craft. There we launched innovations. Um, got to healthier innovations. Took out that aspartame out of some of them, and we, we put Splenda in. And so we were able okay. to do a bunch of things quickly uh, and then mm-hmm. sold the, had to really sell the salespeople on it. And they hate taking price increases. I mean, the marketer comes up with it, but it's the salesperson who goes to the law. And sells the world it through. And yes. says, hey, yes. by the way, we're taking price at 50%. How do you like that? You know? Wow. And it's their job to make sure it doesn't get delisted at the same time. Yes. So um, we had to lay out a plan and we had to convince them that this is the right thing and that we could actually support it. And they bought in, maybe partly because of the successes they'd already seen on peanut butter and shreddies. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe just because they had no choice, and we were gonna. It was like either make this thing profitable, or, or we're not gonna support it anymore anyway. Right. right. Uh, and it worked. It worked. Uh, I'm glad to say that after one year, we're almost back up to profitability. And after the second year, it was. Um, but I moved off fairly quickly uh, after one year, and then was pulled on to Craft Dinner, which was mm-hmm. now a big brand where I was getting a lot of attention, not just from the president of Canada, but also the people in the US because they also right. cared about this rather large brand. And it was one that was already successful. So it was a, a new challenge for me. I liked having the underdog easier. Yes. Yeah. You got nowhere to go but up, right? But this was a good brand already growing, just not growing fast, growing really slow. Right, right. And it had had a heyday um, and now it needed a new one. So 
the challenge there was how do you take something that's already successful, it's done well, had a decade long run that was really successful, and now try and do it again. Yeah. And and there that was a tough one because I had really enjoyed coming onto a brand, seeing what agencies were there, working with them, getting to know them. And this was a great agency that had been on it for decades. Um, and I ended up having to fire them. Oh wow. And bring on a new one. So that was a toughie. And and they were good friends with the president. So that was right. I had to maneuver. That was challenging. Within the corporation, I had to maneuver well and make sure he was on side. I, I and they're still a good agency, but it just it was the right time to get into a new one. So that was it was a risk. Brought on a very mm. junior agency, but they were scrappy and they had cool ideas and they had no history with the brand right. or with craft. And so they're willing to try something different. Right. Sometimes you just need that totally fresh perspective. Right. So we ran a campaign again. Uh, it was cool. It was fresh. It's hip. We're starting to get, for me, the success was social media was becoming a thing. And okay. to see people picking up what we're trying to do in the advertising and picking it up into their language. They were starting to use mm-hmm. a language that we created on these commercials and they were using it on social media. I'm like, okay, this is good. Uh, we're getting into the culture. Good. And right. that's where Craft Dinner belonged. It needs to be a cultural brand. It's an icon. It belongs to Canadian. Right. Um, and we started to drive um, Facebook page, which was the thing back then. You know, you're trying to get a lot yeah. of people to like you on Facebook. Yeah. And ran a campaign in 2012. It was the end of the world. I don't know if you remember that. But Nostradamus had said, hey, 2012, in the 2012, yes. the world's going to end. So yes. we ran a campaign. We ran a campaign about the end of the world. Right. And uh, it was called Katie Apocalypse because Kraft right. Dinner was going to be part of this. It was a big cheese ball coming to hit the earth and blow it up. Ah, okay. And uh, and we grew our fan base huge. We had half a million in no time. And uh, and that, that, that campaign won awards as well. Right. Um, so it was great. It, it was fun. I mean, I don't want to belabor it, but you know, it was fun, fun, fun. Quebec was a, an underserved region for Kraft Dinner. We ran a whole new campaign. Haven't been done in decades. And it was rather cheeky and that won awards too. And and I really like, I like running advertising that uh, is a bit in your face different little cheeky yeah i learned this there is no point in spending any money on advertising if you're not going to be in someone's face if you're not going to provocative different yes or it's just going to get it's not going to get noticed right uh safe advertising is a massive risk because you spent money and you will not get a return on it there's no sense in doing safe advertising yeah no no i i i'm sure a lot of our, our our leaders are are interested that you know not many people really get much of an insight into advertising Right. It's it's a very, very select group of, you know, people in the world that do a lot of advertising and marketing, you know, in the way the way that you're talking about, you know, at the brand manager level. Right. The types of decisions that are involved. Yeah. Yeah. I would say this is where I got really lucky. So every job I had and every brand I was on was a Canadian brand with its own Canadian identity. I mean, I worked for a North American company, global company, uh, but I was working on brands and businesses where I came up with strategy, pricing, packaging, design our own advertising, right. that didn't happen for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. A lot of them worked on brands that were shared with the US or global, and they're taking direction from multiple people right. who are paid more and they have bigger, more authority. I didn't yes. have that. I, didn't, yeah. I got lucky. So mm. talk about a training ground was fantastic. So I actually started, I helped start a brand academy at Kraft. Right. I, I was at director level now, and I, I started a brand academy there to share some of what I had been trained at a craft and mm-hmm. was able to give back right. to some younger folks who may never get that experience. Right. Fascinating. Fascinating. So, so you had a, a tremendous run at craft. You became a director, which is a really, really uh, key role. And I know off, off air, you told me previously about what you thought about the director level versus moving up to a VP level and why you chose to, to not continue to move up at, at craft. Yeah. My boss was a good mentor to me. And I told him, listen, I really want to run a business. I came here to learn how to run a business. When have I learned how to run a business? <laughs> and and he said, he's the one who told me, and this is when I was a, a manager. He said, look, at, um, once you've been a director at Kraft for a few years, you know, you've, you've learned what you're going to learn from Kraft. You know, you can get mm-hmm. to VP, but it's more of the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said, uh, that's, you, you got to pick your spot to get off. Right. And uh, it's a fast moving train. You choose what station you get off at. And so uh, I was a couple years director and I decided, you know what? I've learned what I'm going to learn here. If I'm ever going to try this entrepreneurial thing, now's the time. Right. Exactly. So then what, where, where did you go next? How did you plan that? How did you organize that? Because that's also something really fascinating. So, uh, so why don't you walk us through that thinking? Yeah, circumstance was in my favor. Um, I, I saw changes coming. Um, having been around at Kraft now eight years. So my mm-hmm. two, I plan to stay at Kraft two years as well, but I enjoyed right. it. So I stayed eight. <laughs> saw things changing. 
uh, saw that marketing was probably going to be downsized. Um, I was lucky. I, I had to hang on longer than I had planned, but was eventually able to get packaged out. And with time as well. I mean, they said, You're, you know, mar- these roles in marketing will be gone. Stay with us a few more months. Got a nice right. package. They treated me very well. And so yeah. I had, I said to my wife, can I have a year to go try this entrepreneurial dream? Right. And you should always check with your wife. And so I did check yeah. with my wife. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> and she said, yep, you can have one year, one year. And so I thought I had worked on innovation ideas, tested them with consumers um, and scored extremely well, but too small or bad fit for craft. Right. So I thought I'm going to take some of those ideas or those skills or those areas at least and go explore them on my own and launch something. Right. Um, as I looked into that and met other entrepreneurs trying to do the same thing. I mean, that's difficult to start from nothing and create something. I applaud those people. That takes yes. incredible energy and time. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized I'd have faster success and higher success rate if I bought something, try and get a platform business, and then take off from there. So that was my plan. Right. And as I'm out looking for businesses to buy, um, it wasn't as simple as just Googling them because most people who want to sell a business, they don't post it. They don't want employees to know. They don't want anyone to know. So they tell their accountant or they tell their banker right. or they tell their lawyer. Or they tell their friend who has a blabber milk. So you never know where you're going to find an opportunity. So I was networking with people, lawyers, accountants, um, bankers. And um, as I was doing that, I bumped into a, a private equity group. And they said, okay, now you're working for us. I said, no, no, this is my chance to do something on my own. Like They said, no, like you want to buy a business. We've got businesses to buy. We don't have time to right. look at them. Why don't, you, why don't you do it for us part-time? Right. And then um, find your own on the side. Mm-hmm. And actually, it sounded great. So I did it. I, I did it for free at first. So right. we'll, we'll call it um, what you, an apprentice type thing. Right. You know? It's an apprenticeship. Right. So he, I, I got to learn their style, got to learn how it's done. What I thought would be extremely complex is actually incredibly simple. You could do most of these deals on the back of a napkin. I mean, I know there's iBankers out there who, who do a fantastic, sophisticated job. Right. But in the end, what I saw was handshake agreements, very simple math. Uh, can you come to an agreement? And most right. of it was... Um, do we like each other? Do you respect my business? Do I yeah. want to sell it to you? Yes. You know, it wasn't just wasn't just all. It's really sense. personal. It's really personal, right? Yes. Like you're buying a business, you're doing a business with an entrepreneur, which is which is a very very unique individual. You know, so there, there's a lot of reading the tea leaves and understanding. You know, and what are they really interested in? And, and uh, you know, again, a lot of times it's just not money, right? It's just not the return. Well, you're you're not buying a machine. Um, you're not even buying a PL, you're buying their baby, you're buying their identity. Yeah. And, yes. and they have a hard time parting with it. Yes. And even if you get to an agreement on the numbers, in the end, they still might not sign because they're just not ready. Yeah. They could be in their 70s and they're not ready. No. And we were talking about that as well. Many times entrepreneurs, unfortunately, don't know to sell, can't eventually sell. One of my good friends, he worked with a, a gentleman who literally the business was worth tens of millions of dollars. And eventually, you know, I don't know if it's bankrupted yet, but it, it will be, you know, it's just, just literally just, yeah. That, and, and again, he, you know, what got him there didn't keep get him there, didn't grow. And he just wouldn't move off it as the economy moved on, et cetera. And, and uh, yeah. And, and again, it's all that your, your, your comment about your identity and for our leaders, you know, not making your job, your identity not making your business your identity is really important and really hard not to do. (laughs) So it's both those things. Hey, leaders. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Since we started this podcast, every person you've heard from has been one of the incredible alumni of the Student Works Management Program. In large part, that's how I got to meet these amazing people and participate in their development. Starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down the path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. Now back to the episode. 
So then, you know, that that venture capitalist opportunity eventually led somewhere. So where did it lead, Jordan? Uh, well, after their their strategy was to do a roll up of a bunch of commercial print companies, and then they wanted to put a marketing layer on top, and it would be a marketing service company. They'd had fantastic success doing this twice before, right? Um, so they were quite gung ho. But what was happening in the industry, and this is only a few years back, is I mean, as you can imagine, with digital media coming along, email options, video options, yeah. every form of communication available to you, uh, print share of the communication world is is tiny, yes. and and declining all the time. Yeah. And as companies try and look for areas to save, you know, paper documents are a thing of the past. Everyone wants a digital document. So most of these companies in that industry has not been able to adapt fast enough. Right. Um, so um, my actual recommendation was not to move forward with it. And they agreed with that. Um, but they'd already, they already owned a couple companies. And um, one of them was not doing so well. So I helped them with that um, to try and get their investment out and offload that one. Uh, the other one, though, they bought it from two owners who are great operators, been running it for two decades, and they were on a four-year earnout. So when you buy a company, right. you say, look, I'll give you half the money up front. You, the old owners, keep running the company for another four years, right. transition it to us, keep hitting your target metrics that we bought you for, uh, right. and you get the rest of your money. You earn it out. So it's a four-year yeah. earnout. These guys were heading into the last year of that earnout, and no management was put in yet <laughs> from, oh, from wow. the acquirers. So they said, do you want to run it? And I said, they said, do you like print? Would you like to run this? I said, I don't like print. I don't want to stay in print. Right. Uh, but I would love the chance to run a company. I mean, I, I ran a $320 million portfolio at Kraft, um, but it wasn't mine. I didn't run yes. a company, not the whole right. thing. I ran right. a large portfolio with an even larger portfolio. Um, and so met the, the two owners and they were agreeable to bring me alongside, show me the ropes. These are the two, the two print owners. And uh, and we made the deal. I said, okay, so I'm I'm going to be the general manager president of this company, and right. I said I'll stay three years, and you know uh, we will put in uh, a management team, professionalize the management, like take it from ownership into professional management, right? And in three years, uh, and try and prop up the EBITDA, we'll have it ready for sale. So it'll be you know it'll be ready for sale, or it'll be ready for you to hang on to for as long as you want, um, and then but I will replace myself within three years and, and be ready to move off, right? Because this is not where I want to spend my career, right? Again, right. thinking I want to go do something on my own, entrepreneurial. Um, so listen, I I was blessed in that job. That was a tough industry. I was so stinking tough. Like, what a negative industry. That numbers, not not just the volume going down, the the profit pool for that whole industry had just shrunk. Right. It's going down to next to nothing. I mean, it's beyond commoditized. I mean, it was just, people were giving away print at below cost. It's like, are you yes. kidding me? Do you realize what you're doing for the industry? And Bankruptcies every three months, another bankruptcy, another bankruptcy, yeah. another bankruptcy. Yeah. So we're just hoping not to go bankrupt. But this this particular company had a secret sauce. And so, um, and this was a good lesson for me. And I had read some books on this. I was not going to go in there and tell these people what to do. Right. Um, I went in there to listen. And I listened to everybody for the first whole year, basically just listened. What has made this place work well? Something's working right. very well here. Right. Um, and found out the secret sauce. Uh, I'd also read a book that gave me some insight into leadership called Joy at Work. Totally worth a read. Totally worth it. Right. And it talked about how leaders have the most fun because right. they get to make all the decisions. They get to be creative, which I love being creative. Yeah. They get to make decisions and they get to live with the results. I mean, it's live or die. You live or die by those decisions. And I think that's what entrepreneurs like. That's, yes. That's why 100%. I want to sell my business. Um, but then you're having all the fun. So, right. you know, the premise of this book was give that fun to other people. Give it all the way down to the last levels of the company. And so um, that was one of my goals there was to not make a lot of decisions, not make a lot of changes at, at first, but let the people themselves make those decisions, make the changes, empower them, uh, which was a different culture than they had had up to that point. Um, right. it, had been very, it had very much been the two owners making decisions for the company. Um, and now I needed, I mean, I didn't know print. Right. It's a complicated, very complicated industry. It would take me decades to learn it. I didn't have decades. Right. So I needed experts to run the company or to run the print side. And I was going to run people, which was right. new for me. Right. Um, and that was part of my transition. I mean, you said, how was the transition from being a teenager to a student to a working person? I mean, when I was young, I wanted to be the expert. So you were an individual contributor. You're trying to learn yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. And you become good at it, good at certain things. And now you're the guy that people go to. And then as I moved on within the ranks of getting into craft, you know, well, now I get now decision making has been handed over to me because they've seen right. I can do it. 
and I'm telling other people what to do because they report to me now. That was great. Probably yeah. my, the most comfortable part of my career. But now I'm at a level with the title of president, which is a bit scary. Yeah. And, and now my job isn't to do those things anymore. I'm not the expert and I'm not even supposed to be. I'm supposed to let them be the expert. And now my job is to help them make decisions. Um, so that was more uncomfortable for me. Okay. Uh, and that, that was a new stage of learning for me to ha- hands off. I'm not the expert anymore. I'm out of my comfort zone. I need to be an expert on people yeah. and how to help them do what they're good at or get better at what they're doing at and make, make good decisions and live with it. I love how you described that. That, that, that was really powerful, you know, for our leaders to get, you know, okay, hey, you know, I'm, I'm getting successful and then, okay, then I, I'm the decision maker. And then the president, it's, it's actually different, right? Like you said, if yeah. presidents are making all the decisions, if CAOs are making all the decisions, company's real small. Yeah. It doesn't work. It, it's, it, it can't, you know, you want to enroll and engage and, and excite people to take things on. So it's like, oh, I'm running down that way and they're, they're off, right? And they're running and they're excited. And then they come back, hey, Jordan, here's what we got done. Oh, this was really neat. So, so exactly. And you mentioned secret sauce. Is it so secret you can't share? Uh, for, you know, because, you know, okay, it yeah, sounds like it, it. It's, a, it's a little bit. It's, there, it's what makes them successful. But um, unfortunately, that secret sauce lived in the heads of the two owners and they okay. kept that very personal, which, you know, it was their secret sauce. Right. Um, I had to institutionalize that. And so I found myself for the first time trying to become an IT guy and bring in an MIS system. Right. I was smart enough to hire someone to do it. So right. <laughs> uh, I took a hit. I took a hit on our profit in the first year a little bit um, and had to cut elsewhere um, to bring someone in who could search the world out for what was the best system to do this. But that putting that system in, it was nothing but uphill battle fighting with everybody. Nobody wanted it. No one wants to change. Uh, you right. know how it is. If you've been in a company, you learn a computer system. Now they want you to learn a new one. Like it's awful, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but that was critical to the success of this company. And I, I've talked to the guy who's now a general manager there, and he's like, "Oh yeah," he goes, "I can see it now because I'm sure glad you put that in." Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so and, and having having gone through that uh, for us, it's a, it's a real challenge, but it's it's worth the fight because the advantage is, you know, sorry when you do it well. Because yeah. I have another another friend who did it and and did not do it well, and literally they blew up a million dollars worth of value. It, it did not execute, and they couldn't move forward with it. So it's it's a big, you know, you're really betting your business, you know, on these types of uh, integrations and 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 uh, management information systems. Yeah, yeah, I'd say as the as the leader, you hope never to have to deal with your MIS. You hope it's yes. just good enough when you get there. <laughs> that's that's uh, right. But if it's yeah. not, if it's not, and you don't, um, you, you're cooked. You know, and if you yeah. don't do it properly, I saw Loblaws. They put in SAP and they lost. And that's a big, sophisticated company. They they couldn't place an order. I mean, it was awful wow. for a whole year. The amount of money wow. that was just lost and floating about. like So these are disasters. And I knew that heading into this change I was making. So yeah. execution was key. And yeah. I remember working at Canada Bread, uh, Michael McCain would say, he said, uh, what do you say? Strategy is 99% execution. Yeah, yes. You know, good strategy. And so, and it it was true. Running a little company, uh, I learned you don't have to be the smartest guy out there. I mean, um, hard work trumps brains, or maybe not even hard work, persistence. You know, if if you've got a target in mind, I'm going to have an excellent system. I'm going to have this in place by such just persistence against that trumps intelligence all the time. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. No question. So, so you moved, uh, and, and, and what were next stages in your career? Uh, well, uh, we eventually sold that company. So in yeah. two years' time, we were able to sell it to another larger print company in the in the space. I stayed six months with them. And after transitioning out and had had a guy ready to go to replace me. Right. And uh, he's great. He's doing a great job. I still keep up with him. He's a great guy. Right. Then I, I felt like, you know, I had spent some time in an old buggy whip industry. <laughs> like, right. You know, something that's on its way out, a sunsetting industry. I mm-hmm. wanted to spend some time on something new. And one thing I've learned about myself, I like learning new things. So I can tell. I didn't mind being in all these different roles I had at craft. I can't even, I don't even know how many brands I was on. I have to go check my resume. Like just kept right. moving us. As soon as you got comfortable in something, they moved you and then they moved you again. Right. Um, so they must have had an insight into these kinds of people, right? People get bored, so move them. Um, exactly. and, I never, and I never thought I did get bored, but I think maybe I do. And so I started to learn about blockchain and cryptocurrency. It was hot at the time. It was 2017. Those things were all that. Was in the news, right? Yes. Bitcoin kept getting new highs for prices. Yeah. So I got involved, find out what it is. I started investing money in cryptocurrency. 
Um, at the same time, I really liked, I liked what I've been doing at the private equity guys. I liked meeting company owners. I liked giving advice to them. And I liked the whole startup world. So I became an angel investor. I didn't even realize what an angel investor was. Uh, right. but joined an angel investing network. And it's kind of like Dragon's Den. Like yes. once a month, these guys, all these entrepreneurs come and they pitch you. And yes. you're sitting there. And I'm not even a super rich guy, but I've got no. more money than them. Yes. And, and they want a piece of it. And um, as part of it, you become their advisor. You become their coach. Um, it was great. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get mm-hmm. to hear about all the new things going on in the world because there's some young entrepreneur out there trying. Yes, exactly. So I spent a year doing that. And I, again, I had agreement from my wife to spend a mm-hmm. year doing that. Um, but I loved it and um, took another year to do it as well. So that ended up being a two-year sabbatical. And, um, you know, I, so I spent time learning cryptocurrency, but I also learned about AI and I learned about a few other industries, including building science. And, um, I just got to explore a lot of things that were interesting to me. Uh, and now, um, now I'm at a point where, okay, money's invested. I haven't been making money for the last couple of years other than investments. So I should get back to work. (laughs) It is past. I'm, I'm high due. I'm past the deadline I gave my wife. Uh, She gave me. So, um, (laughs) uh, but I actually, I, I miss actually building. So investing is great. But I, when you're investing, you're trying to give advice to these young entrepreneurs. They don't always take it. In fact, they rarely take it. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And that's, that can be frustrating too. Yeah. Um, In fact, that was one of the criteria that I learned from the experienced angels is throw a few, lob a few things at the entrepreneur. And if they take your advice and they're coachable, great. If they're not, walk away. Because yes. the business is going to change and change and change, and they'll pivot a hundred times. If they're the right person, they'll be fine. You're investing in that person. You're not always investing yeah. in their idea because the idea is going to change. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, now I'm at a now I'm at a point where I'd like to get back to building business. And um, now you knew you and I touched well, base. Yeah, because 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 it's it's one of those things where you know, for our leaders, normally I'm, I'm bringing on someone who this is what they're doing. And this is, you know, the crush and the musts and the fuss yeah, yeah. of what, what they're, what they're creating. And, and so with Jordan, Jordan's in, in, in kind of a, a, a transition. And I thought it would be wonderful to grab Jordan while in this transition and just sort of, you know, you know, obviously you see where Jordan's got and all the skills and all the, the, the habits that he's got to, to, to be where he is. And then just how you're thinking about that transition you know, what you're thinking, what you're looking to create, just because I know a lot of our leaders will be there in the future as well. You know, like, cause, cause, yeah. cause successful people, it's not a this, then this, then this, then this all the way along. Although a lot of your career so far has been that, but how are you seeing this? Yeah. Um, the time off was, was, uh, it was also purposeful Try and spend more time mm-hmm. with the family. My father-in-law died. Actually, it was the day after I, I had left the print company. Right. So I'm like, okay, now's a good time to step back anyways and spend some time uh, with my kids who are just at that critical age. Right. Uh, but, you know what, I'm, um, I'm a person who likes to work. So yes. <laughs> you try and take time off. There's no, there's no time off. You just fill it with something else. Um, so make sure you fill it with something you really enjoy. But I had the luxury of saying, okay, I'm, I'm, now, I'm 44 now. I just turned 44. I got the rest of my short career left. It's a pretty short right. time. Um, but it is still 10, 20 years. And I, I'm probably yeah. going to work into my 70s because I like working. Right. Yeah. Um, and people aren't going to be retiring as early anymore. So um, I'd like to do something that I really enjoy. Yeah. And and I'm also realizing I'm motivated by money, but I don't think it's by having the amount of money. It's by the metric of watching the money go yes. up. I like that metric. I like I like the I like the immediate um, feedback you get from running a business. Like you're yes. winning or you're losing. You're winning or you're losing yeah. all the time. For okay, sure. I'm going to try something different then. Yeah. Um, so. I'm, I'm, we're making a lifestyle choice. We're actually going to move to my hometown. My whole family's moved back there. So we're going to head back there too. And, uh, just last night I got an offer actually from a family oh, cool. company. I've been in talks with them first five years ago. And then for the last six months, we've just been, yeah, yeah, yeah thanks. we've just been talking. Uh, yeah. they have, it's good sized business. They do over a hundred million now in sales, but they'd like to yeah. double that. Why? Yeah. Just, just because they can. Because exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the CEO there, He's, we've just, we've kind of hit it off because he has the same mentality. Let's grow because we like to grow. Um, yes. I'm not a maintainer. Uh, if I had yeah. a maintaining job, I, I wouldn't do well at it. So I, I like to grow. And um, so we've been talking and there's a portion of that business that is, um, it's segmented off and it's, they want to be the, the Amazon of farmers, uh, if you can yeah, believe it. And so I'm like, that's so that cool. sounds, that sounds challenging. 
It's a very hard challenge. We're going to yeah. take on Amazon. Okay, I like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, giving you confidential information, I'm probably going to be signing that hopefully in, in a day or two, and then um, off to do that. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, congratulations. And and so there's a couple things I wanted to sort of point out that I see in what you shared. Number one, relationships get built up over time. You know, this is a five year you know relationship built right like you know yeah. you know and getting comfortable right and that's where relationships and partnerships are so important over time we become close and it's oh i see you see this and i see this and and like you said having the same shared values and and why are we doing this and what why does it matter to us and 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 again because again maybe people want to make money but why do they want to make money and yeah. then also i'm just going to comment on one of my favorite quotes in the boston celtics best dressing room and it says the game is scheduled. We have to play. We might as well win. And ah. so that's kind of what I see. You know, it's yeah, like, like hey, yeah. you're going to live this many more years. Yeah, I got to play it. I might as well win. Right. And it's not about putting more and more money in your bank account. It's about creating value. And then you're right. You're also creating and building relationships with people. Obviously, you like because I can yeah. tell when you talk about them, uh, you, you like them. And that's and that's really valuable. Well, that's one of the things, taking some time off, that's one of the things I decided. I, I will only work with people I want to enjoy the next oh. 10 years with. Yes. Um, because at this level, with the uh, background I've had, I have, I have some options. I can go sure. be an entrepreneur. You know, yeah. I can go get a job. Um, yeah. I, you know, I've been looking at some franchise options. I mean, these are all options. Mm -hmm. So I want to enjoy it. And so, uh, yeah, enjoying the people is critical. Yeah. yeah. What, I, what I'd wish, I, I wish that I had found a partner along the way here that was different for me, different skill set, but same attitude of wanting to own a company, run together. I think if that was the case, I would be running a company today with, with a partner. Right. Um, I've never actually found that partner. And I, I've seen it, having looked at so many companies to buy, I have seen when there's a good partnership, nothing trumps it. Yes. A bad partnership ruins a company quickly. So <laughs> exactly. it's a tricky no. one. It's a really tricky no. one. It, well, you know, fortunately, you know, in our business, we're we're actually an amazing partnership. My my CEO, my wife, partner, and I. She is an amazing at all sorts of things. I'm not good at, and I'm an amazing yeah. at all sorts of things that she's not quite as strong at. So it's it it really is a gift. And so our business has has just gone up, you know, and just gotten so much better, so much more profitable, so much, providing so much more value because of, like you said, that partnership. Because yeah. you know, it's it's just so critical. Yeah, you know, so, something I had to do, Chris, I'll just mention this as part of this long conversation with this family company. I mean, they really care because when they bring somebody in, they, they're thinking lifetime, you're going to spend your career here. Right. So I had to do a lot of personality tests with them. IQ tests, yes, but yeah. personality, some of them standard, but there was a new one there called Colby. K -O -L -B. I've done Colby. Yes. You've done it? I've, yes. That was interesting. I haven't seen that. I've, I've been doing a lot of these for a lot of years on my employees as team building, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yes. That one was new. So for entrepreneurs out there, I'd say, you want to own a business, get to know yourself a little bit, do the Colby exercise because yeah. it tells you your modus operandi. That's how they say it, right? How do you yeah. like to operate? And if you're, you're a fact for, finder, a quick start. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I, that's what I am. You yeah. are, I bet, right? How'd you know? <laughs> I just, I know you. That's I like right. to get the facts. Once I've yeah. got them though, rock it ahead. It, yes. it just blasts through any red tape. I don't want red tape. I'll find a way around it. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I did the study. I'm like, oh yeah, that was me. I could have explained that to my bosses ahead of time, some things could have gone smoother. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I'm pretty impressed with this company that they've taken the time to understand and yeah. they know that's how I'm going to operate. And they're, they're obviously okay with it. And for our leaders, I highly recommend and have recommended for decades to go do the Colby, K O L B E.com. It's 60 bucks or 50 bucks. And it really tells you how you operate. For me, I am at what's called a, a 10 quick start. Literally all the other ones, I, I go against facts. And so, <laughs> so my partner is actually your profile, high, high quick start, high fact finder. So let's get all the facts and then let's move forward. Our vice president, Patrick Wand, the same. They actually work really, really well together huh. in, in fact finding. My wife just laughed in the background, huh. but, but in the fact finding processes, strategy, you know, because I, I know you're a strategy innovator. So that's what she is as well. So, um, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a coach, trainer, facilitator. And that's that's where this, the the quick start with nothing else really, really, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, show, shows and glows. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no. And, and, and again, as, as Jordan said, knowing yourself is such a huge part of being successful in life. And, and again, not just making money, but 
being successful, being happy, having it, having it really fulfill you as well. Right, right, right. Uh, and, and that is critical too. I mean, whatever your people who are listening to this, I mean, they're probably really hard workers like us. Yes. Yes. So you're going to work hard anyways. Um, so, so work at something you enjoy and with people you enjoy. Uh, the money will eventually come, enough money anyway. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. So what about failures or mistakes and what did you learn from those? That's something we always love to ask our, our leaders on the podcast. Yeah, I've, you know, I've had some. Um, uh, there's a, a consistent one for me has been, and I learned it through career, not managing up. Now, you know, one of the reasons I've always wanted to have my own company is I don't like to have a boss. I just... Something again, right. there's something about it. It stresses me out, actually. I mean, I don't mind making multi-million dollar bets. Uh, that's mm-hmm. pressure. But reporting to someone and trying to live up to their expectations, which are sometimes very unclear, for me is stress. Yes. I mean, I'm an introvert. You know, I have that shy aspect to me that I've had to overcome all my life. And, and that part of it is just hard for me. It's yeah. much easier to be my own boss, to run a company and take all the risks. I don't mind that risk. Um, it's just yeah. pressure. I can deal with pressure. Um, so I've noticed a few times in my career, not managing up well, has cost me opportunities and burned me a bit. Even in the innovation job, going way back to then when I was a young guy in my 20s, everyone around me was saying, you're doing a great job. Great, great. Love this. Love that. Great. Keep going. My boss was not a communicator. Mm. And um, she was giving me, you know, yeah, it seemed okay. It seemed okay. And then having a real conversation with her one day, I was totally blindsided. Like She's like, well, this isn't really working. Like, wow. That was a blind side. I remember thinking, where was I? You know, <laughs> Right. Yeah. In that, in that whole conversation. Um, but it was good, good for me to know, Hey, your boss might not be a good communicator. Um, it's, it's up to you to get the information out of them. You yes. need to know how you're doing if, if they're the ones calling the shots. Right. Um, when I had the printing company, so now as a, an older guy, I found an acquisition. So running this company, the one that would call it a tuck-in, I could buy yeah. the company, take the customers, take the employees, take the business, stick them into our plant, get rid of all their equipment. Sell all the machines. Yes. Use exactly. up yeah. use up our machinery because our you know utilization was going down as the industry declined. It was a slam dunk. I mean, they were almost yeah. giving us the company for free. They gave us yeah. they were giving it to us after a lot of negotiating for the cost of receivables. It was like that's free. That's a free wow. company. I was on board. Um, I I still had one of the old owners with me, and he is very experienced with acquisitions, and he was excited too. He was like, "This is great," you know. And one of the four partners who was my, who were my bosses, um, you know, there's not a lot of management with these four partners. It was not, not sure. at this stage of the game. Um, you know, one of them was on board. And so when it was time to sign, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't get him across the line. Couldn't get him past wow. the finish line. And I'm like, hold on. You guys are going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to make a massive bonus, life-changing kind of bonus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's holding us back here? You know? You're right. Then I find out, oh, oh, they're buying an insurance company in the background, a really big insurance company. Nothing to do with print. Nothing against this opportunity. Had it been a different day, um, this would have gone through. Right. Um, and quickly. But it wasn't a different day. And I, I didn't understand their world well enough to know what was going right. on there. Yeah. So a lot of excitement on our side of the fence. The company, you know, the people who knew about it were very excited. I was excited. We were putting a lot of work in. It all made sense. But nope. No, I didn't manage up on that one. So I was like, yeah. oh man, I thought I learned that lesson a long time ago. I guess I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we get to we get to learn some lessons over and over. Yes, me too. Me too. Yeah. So. And then the other the other big one, Chris. So I've been an investor now for a few years. I tried this a long time ago, and I've now I've been a very serious investor. You gotta pull the plug on something that's not working. And I've read this, you know, I've read about it, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'll pull the plug, but it's not working. No, I won't. Like it's too emotional. It's really hard to do. Yes, it is you, hard. If something's not working out, you've got to pull the plug because you'll just lose, lose, lose. You'll lose far more in a very short time um, than if you just took that initial hit. Yeah. I know that lesson. I still find it hard. So yeah. for me, I had to realize that when it comes to investing, there's this large emotional component. It's kind of like these business owners we talked about, the entrepreneurs. They can't part with the business when the writing's on the wall. I mean, the writing's yes. on the road. The writing's on the sky. It's everywhere. <laughs> And they still can't do it. It's yeah. that emotional part. And understanding your emotional part, I don't think you have to overcome the emotion. I think you need to have um, some kind of mechanism that doesn't allow you to go any further. So well, in trading stocks, you can you can actually mechanize it in a computer yes. program. Oh, boom. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's why people have boards. That's why that's why people go to advisors and and or partnerships. And it's like, hey, I'm unclear and under, understandably, hey, I'm too attached. Yeah, you know, yeah. Okay. You know, and 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 again, it's 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 hard. It's hard because it's not 
you know, somebody's the first entrepreneur who's ever felt attached or, or somebody's the first person who's ever felt, oh, it's tough to get rid of my investment. No, that's actually tough. You yeah, know? it's um, tough. You know, and it's, and again, it's, it's like, I can create value. I can also lose value really fast. Too, really fast. Right. And, and, and so, so investors you know, yeah. say, uh, investor state stock market takes the stairs up and the elevator down. Right. And, and it does help in that way. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. it just did. Yeah, yeah, we just saw <laughs> so, that. Right just saw yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, um, if someone wanted to do what you do, what key habits would they have to steal from you? Yeah, I don't have a lot of good habits. <laughs> so, <laughs> I so don't believe that. <laughs> you, you might know. And by you the way, everyone habits. Yeah. <laughs> everyone listening does not believe that either. Um, you know what the. The one thing I've had that has overcome all my bad habits, my bad habits are, you know, not showing up on time. You know, I, I think too much about things. Um, I like to daydream, like uh, mm -hmm. take too long in the shower. Uh, right. And then I have to rush, 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 rush. Okay. I think the thing for me has been, and I'm trying to learn good habits from other people, you know, right. I, but the thing for me, I think has been the stick to it. And it's like, if you decide you're going to do something, then you just, it's just going to happen against all the odds you just keep doing it doing until it. it's done yeah yeah so yeah perseverance hard work committed focused yeah those are the you know that part and so final question when you think of a leader of tomorrow what comes to mind yeah it's a good question actually i'm, I'm involved on the, the board of the school that my kids go to and one of the things i was on a committee to look at the future of our education and how we're gonna get our kids ready for 20 years from now mm -hmm. uh, one of the things and i think it's very true for business already is I would say for the leaders of the future are going to learn about humans, not AI. Everyone wants to learn yeah. about AI. I've invested in AI. I've learned about it, but even in the company I invested in, it's really the human running it. <laughs> that matters. Yes. Nothing else matters. <laughs> and um, I mean, I mean, understand human emotions, understand right. things like Colby, learn how to listen, yeah. that active listening, which you can learn online. Yeah. Um, it's great for your marriage too. active. Listening. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What, what motivates people? It's, there's no one answer. Every person, every employee is different in terms of how do you get them excited and motivated to do something? Is it the carrot, the stick? It's usually something more complex even than that. How do mm -hmm. they want to work like the Colby? Mm -hmm. So I would say the leaders of the future will have robots to do a lot of their work, computers, robots. Yeah. But they, they need to learn about humans because the mm -hmm. human element is going to be more important than ever. The more, the, the more computers come and take over jobs, the more important the human element becomes. Uh, and then the other thing is have some steadfast values. I mean, that's part yeah. of that being stubborn yeah. about getting, yeah. a, getting a job done. But also, you got to be stubborn about your values. Everything yeah. else is going to change. The business is yeah. going to change. The people are going to change. You're going to change. Don't let your values change. Get, yeah. If you're going to start a company, have a set of values. Stick to it. Even if you have to lose some money along the way, you stick to those values and it will win out in the end. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I you know, over 25 years, obviously, a business changes quite a bit. So, you know, we've obviously made massive, massive improvements and changes. And that's actually something that we start with right from the start in our processes is a values analysis. We have our operators go and really look at their values. We actually do personality profiles, like, you know, like you mentioned, you know, and, and really have them understand that what, what's their behavior, what's driving their behavior so that we can start so that, you know, and they can start to really look at that. And then again, we obviously hope that they just hold on to those as they move on, because those values that we care about as young people are values that we care about all our lives. And we just yep. need to hold on to them. Like you said, you know, for me, my number one value has always been relationships or everything. And huh. so it always will be. And, and again, for me, it's, it would be like losing track of that, which would not be being me. You know, yeah. which would yeah, just, yeah. I'd be some perverted non-Chris Thompson, you know, <laughs> <laughs> anybody who knows me, we go, what's, what's going on there? That's not Chris. So, you know, again, but when we are our values, then it, it all works, right? Cause, oh, that's, that's who Jordan is. That's who Chris is. So that's so awesome. If you read the book on Starbucks and Howard Schultz and how he built it, I did. It basically runs down to, he had a set of values about coffee yeah. and about yeah. how he treated people. And that was it. And, yes. and every, every decision he made was about those two things the quality of the coffee and how, it, how to treat the employees and treat people. Yeah. And that was it. And they built a very successful company against the odds on those two things. And you look as well when they've gotten off track over the last 20 years or so, and they, he's pulled them back. It's been about that. It's been about really great coffee, really great experience, treating people really well, really, again, you know, uh, in that environment, you know, really treating people well compared to other people who work in that environment. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's so true. 
So, well, Jordan, thank you so much for spending time. Jordan's moving his family today, uh, or tomorrow, I guess, but he's making time for our podcast. What an amazing guy. And, uh, And again, thank you so much. This was just wonderful work. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, cheers. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Best of luck with the move. Cheers. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast, interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply, and I can't wait to see you on the other side.